How great is our God. I would like to welcome everyone to, our, to the Rock Community Church. And it's our Good Friday service. As we reflect and as we remember God's great love for us, that from the foundation of the earth, He planned a salvation for us. That we could have an abundant life and eternal life through His Son. So tonight we're going to take communion in remembrance of Him. The text that I'm going to be reading from tonight is Romans, the fifth chapter. Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 1. And it talks about how Christ died for us. All through scriptures it talks about our suffering Savior. And it describes Him in many different ways. It says that He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is our great high priest. He is the great I am. He's the bread of life. He's the water of life. He is the light of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, He is the resurrection and the life. He is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, Jehovah God, Yahweh. He is the Son of Man. He's the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, who is, who was, and who is to come. And the Apostle Paul talks about this great love and how that he died for us on Calvary's tree. And this is one of the, it's one of my favorite passages of all Scripture. Romans, the fifth chapter, reading from verse 1. Listen to the words from the Apostle Paul. Therefore, now being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great start through whom also we obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we also exult or joy in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through, our, through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. For while we were helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man some would, would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult, we joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. 
Father, we love you so much. Father, tonight, we come in reverence before you. Thank you for your great love in sending your Son to die at Calvary for our sins. Father, that's why we gather here today to worship you. Thank you for giving us eternal life. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. As I attempt to approach a subject that is so important, it is so wonderful, yet it is so solemn, let us remember that it calls for a heart that is filled with awe to touch the very fringe of the holy things of God ought to inspire reverence. Tonight, we're in reverence and awe as we take communion. To enter into the meaning of Calvary's cross of Jesus calls for grace, fear, and humility because it's changed all of our lives. So tonight, let's go back to A.D. 32. The scripture says it's the third hour. It's nine o'clock in the morning. Jesus Christ is going to shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. But we can't start there. We must go back to the night before. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed three times. Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but thine be done. It says that he, in the scriptures that he prayed that prayer so fervently. And they also used the term that he was in agony. That he shed as if it were great drops of blood. He knew what was going to happen the next morning at 9 o'clock. He was going to bear your sins and my sins on Calvary's tree. We have no idea what that truly means. And then they put him through those seven mock trials. And then in Pilate's hall, they gave him 39 lashes and the blood flowed freely. They took him to the Praetorian where the soldiers mocked him. They put a robe upon him. And yes, and Diane did such a beautiful job on these columns. Put a crown of thorns upon his head and thrust it down. And the blood flowed freely. And they took reeds. And they began to slap his face with those reeds and with their hand. And the blood flowed freely. And then he began the journey down the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering, to Calvary, called Golgotha, the place of the skull. They reached there at the third hour, nine o'clock in the morning. They lay him down on the cross, and they began 
to nail him to that cross. And the blood flowed freely. Fulfilling Psalms 22:16 that David spoke about, they pierced my hands and, they, and their feet. They put him into the hole, and now he was extended between heaven and earth. And he spoke these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Not even his closest apostles knew completely what was going on at Mount Calvary at that time. The Apostle Paul in Corinthians said that if the rulers of this age would have known, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. He hung there, the scripture says, from the third hour to the sixth hour in daylight for three hours. And then it, from the sixth hour, suddenly there was night upon the face of the earth. There was darkness for three hours. And then at the ninth hour, at three o'clock, he said these words. Eli, Eli, lama sambathini. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was at that time that he was bearing the sins of you and for me. That's why tonight is such a reverent and a time of awe. To imagine that type of awe of bearing our sins at Calvary. Then he said, Father, into, my, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the spirit. And then immediately there was an earthquake in which the rocks split in half. And even in the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, there was a huge veil that was ripped in half from the top to the bottom. A soldier came by and reached up and thrust a spear into his side and water and blood flowed out freely. Upon observing all of this, the centurion said, truly this was the Son of God. What does all of that mean to us today in 2012? The Apostle Paul in Romans the fifth chapter tells us. He tells us what we were like before the cross, before we began our walk with Christ. He also tells of God's great plan of salvation there. And then he tells us what a blessing all of us have that we can rejoice in knowing. So those are the three things that he's going to talk to us about tonight. The first one, he says, what were we like before the cross in Romans the fifth chapter? What were we like before we came to Christ? He says there in verse 6, while we were yet helpless. If you have the King James, while we were without strength. Within ourselves, we had no strength, no help in reaching God. In verse 8, he says, while we were yet sinners, that word sinners in the Greek is harmatia. It says to miss the mark of God's righteousness. He says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all missed. 
we have come short of God's righteousness within ourselves. Because in Romans 3.10, he goes on to say, there is none of us in here that is righteous. No, not one. In fact, Isaiah the prophet, in the 64th chapter, and verse 6, says these words, All of our righteous deeds, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. This is, these are our sins. These are, this is our righteousness within ourselves and how man will try to reach to God. Isaiah says, it is as filthy, filthy rags. In fact, it all started in the Garden of Eden. Because in our text, in verse 12, it says, For as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death has been passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We're all in this together. We've all done things that we're ashamed of. In Ephesians, the second chapter, in verse 1, he goes on to say, You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. That's the state we were in before Christ. In fact, Rembrandt did a painting back in 1633. That's right, 1633. And as you'll see, it's called The Raising of the Cross. And if your first focus of your eyes go directly to Jesus as he is being raised up on the cross. Then as you look around that scene, you may get a chance to see some other people in the background. And then at the foot of the cross, Rembrandt chose to paint himself into that picture. He's wearing that beret hat. And he is saying, my sins put him on the cross. He painted himself in. You and I, we could paint ourselves into that picture as well. For you see, we were helpless, we were sinners, and then finally, we were enemies. That's what it says in verse 10. It says, while we were enemies. We weren't seeking after God. We were enemies. In fact, when he wrote to the church at Colossae, he said these words. He said, that you are alienated to God. We're enemies. We're alienated. We're sinners. We're helpless. But the good news is God had a plan. And Paul talks about it here in Romans, the fifth chapter. And this plan was not responded to our sins. It started from the very foundation of the earth. What was a part of his God's plan? the first part of his plan was he loved us. He loved us. Look at verse 8. But God demonstrated his love towards us. You know what that word demonstrates mean? It's active. I can tell my wife how much I love her, but do I demonstrate it by doing things for her? Jesus Christ and God the Father demonstrated the love he demonstrated it on the cross. He put love into action at the cross. Who better to write about it 
than the Apostle John. He was at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother Mary. And he wrote in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. You and I will never understand that two-letter word. For God so loved the world. He so loved the world. He demonstrated it. Then when he wrote it in his first letter, over in 1 John 4.10, he says, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. God loved us. And he sent his son to be a propitiation, a satisfaction for our sins. So God loved us. The second thing that the Apostle Paul points out is that he died for us. Three times in this passage of Scripture, he said he died for us. He demonstrated his love by dying for us. In verse 6, remember, he said, while we were yet helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. He said at the right time. It was from the foundation of the earth that he put this plan into place. That's what he means at the right time. In King James, you have the due time. He told the people at Galatia, he said, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us. He died for us. While we were yet sinners, in verse 8 it says, Christ died for us. And then, in verse 10, while we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. He emphasizes it three times. I mean, think about it. Would you die for a righteous man? Would you die for a man that is good? Would you take their place? Listen to verse 7. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man. Someone would dare even to die. But Christ died for the ungodly. He died for an enemy. He died for the sinners. That's how much he loved us. He so loved us, even in our sinning state. Not only did he love us, we are justified by his blood. The Apostle Paul says, look at verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood. We've been justified by his blood. Again, Diane did a beautiful job. But it was the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 9.22, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness. And from the foundation of the earth, this was God's plan that he would go to the cross. What does that word justify mean? It means that in your sinning state, he declared you righteous when you, by faith, accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. 
He declared you righteous even in your sinning state. And then you took on Christ's righteousness, not our own. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So what he is saying is, Christ went to the cross. He was the perfect sinless sacrifice that we saw all the way through the Old Testament. And now in the New Testament, we see Christ, the Son of God, doing our righteousness. We took on his righteousness. In fact, Isaiah, the first chapter, in verse 18, he spoke these words. He says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though your sins be filthy rags, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow through the blood of Jesus. Because the blood has been applied when you came to him by faith in Jesus Christ. And you were made whole. And you received the righteousness of Christ. When he went to the cross, they stripped him down at the foot of the cross. And all he had on was a loincloth. And it brought back memory to me is that here he was stripped naked so that he would be we would be clothed in Christ's righteousness. Pastor John has done a marvelous job of taking us through the book of Revelations. And in that fourth chapter scene, we're there in the future. We are there in the future. And we're gathered around the throne of God. And we are dressed, it says there, in white garments. The righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ. And well, he saved us from the wrath to come. His plan saw to it that we're not going to face the wrath of God. He took our place there, and he took on the wrath of God. For you see, the wrath of God and the love of God collided at Calvary. Our sins needed to be paid for. He took our place. He took the wrath of God. Because of his great love for us. What is our destiny? It's a wonderful destiny. He's gone home to prepare a place for us. He was in the upper room the night before. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you will be also. No, we're not destined for the wrath of God. I can't wait till Pastor John gets to Revelations 21 and he tries to describe that scene in the New Jerusalem, that city four square. And they try to describe what it's going to be like. But there's that song that's always sung at memorial services. We can only imagine. No, we're not destined for the wrath of God. Why? 
Because we've been reconciled. We have been reconciled. It says there in verse 10, while we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. We were reconciled while we were enemies. We were reconciled while we were sinners. We were reconciled while we were ungodly. So in closing, in closing right now, how does this apply to us today? Here's how it applies to us. Of all people, we are so blessed. Paul writes about the blessings that we have. Because we have been justified by faith, number one, you and I that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we have made peace with God. Verse 1, what a great verse. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When I go to bed at night, I know I've got peace with God. If any of you under the sound of my voice do not have that peace, or you're not sure, I want you to come and see me after this service tonight. We have peace with God. Not only that, we have joy in God. We as Christians, we have more joy than anyone else in this world, no matter what happens to us. He says in verse 11, look at verse 11, it says, And not only this, but we also exult, we joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. We have joy in God. When my boys were, uh, Dolores hosted a joy club when they were really little. And uh, I never forgot it. it was, and it's, it's all about, if you want to have joy in this life, this, this is what you do. It's very simple. Even the little, the little boys learned it. Put Jesus first in your life. That's the J. The O, you put others second. Number three, you put you last. So we have the peace of God. We have joy in God. And why are we the happiest people in the world? The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. That's what it says in verse 5. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. Now we can love God. Now we can love others because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. And then finally, think about this. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. He dwells within us. Christ lives within us. Look at verse 5. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us at the point of salvation. You have the Holy Spirit within you. Don't pray for more Holy Spirit. No, it's been given to you. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he says, Know you not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And you are not your own, but you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. That's what we do. That's our assignment. The rest of our lives, we are to glorify God in these bodies. Because we have peace with God, we have joy, we have the love of God shed abroad in our heart, and because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, He says, I want you to glorify me. Glorify me. 
And you are tonight. By your presence tonight, you've demonstrated how much you love God. And thank you so much for coming. But Christ wants you. Did you know that you were cru crucified with Christ? Are you living the crucified life? Paul was crucified with Christ. In Galatians 2.20 he says, I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Are you living the crucified life? Tonight, we come in reverence and we come in awe. Whenever we take communion, it is very serious. Because the death of Jesus Christ is to be remembered. So, would you please right now take the time just to bow your head, close your eyes while Pastor John comes forward and leads us in communion. Isn't it amazing that this day that we celebrate called Good Friday we have a Savior that went to the cross for us to make it good. In a moment, we'll have communion. What we want you to do is, at your own leisure, when you feel right and ready, that you would go back and, and have communion, either with yourself or with your family. And Eddie and Brooke and Brittany will sing and play some songs during this time, and you can either sing or just reflect upon this moment. Our Lord told us to, to remember. Remember what he has done for us. When he talked about the bread and the wine, he said, this is my body. It is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then they took of the bread and they ate. Shortly thereafter, he, he held up a cup of wine. He said, this is the new covenant of my blood. And as often as you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. Where Pastor Bill shared so beautifully, so beautifully. Bill, I just love your heart so much. In Romans chapter 5, the following chapter, let me give you something to remember. He says that the one who has died is freed from sin. If we have died with Christ, he says, we believe that we will also live with him. Knowing that our Savior, Jesus Christ, having been raised from the dead, that which we will celebrate on Easter is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. You and I who have died to sin because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, 
have a lot to remember. We have a lot to be thankful for. To celebrate this time of the year for us as believers in Jesus Christ is everything. Good Friday, the death of our Savior, Resurrection Sunday, Easter, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Remember who he is and what he has done for you. And so as you sit and reflect and perhaps think about whatever it is that you might need to ask him for forgiveness of, just preparing your heart to have communion. Thank him for who he is. Thank him for going to the cross for you and for me. Thank him for rising from the dead so that, that we might never have to die, but live eternally with him. Those are wonderful things to remember of our Savior. So I want to pray with you now, and then after you're through with communion, Pastor Bill will come back up and, and close us in prayer and, and uh, dismiss us. But I want to thank you for being here, every single one. And you know what's great about this service? To me, beyond Pastor Bill, is hearing the kids. That is a great sound in church. Father, I want to thank you for this time that we might worship you through communion. We listen to a wonderful teaching out of the Word of God of all that you have done for us, Father going to the cross, dying for our sin. We ask you, dear Father, that you would give us fond memories of who you are. And we might remember that we who have died to ourselves have died from sin. Bless us, please, Lord. Make this communion very, very special and this Easter very, very special, we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. I hope everybody's had an opportunity to take of the bread and of the fruit of the vine and, and just really in reverence um, just worshiped our Lord tonight. I think it's, it's been a great time of just worshiping Him. If you're visiting with us for the first time, thank you for, for coming. It was so good to have you here and I hope that you'll want to come back and be with us. Uh, this was a great night for me because I see some old friends that uh, are out of state uh, that have made the trip over and so it's really exciting and I can't wait until this weekend we get to hear Pastor John preach about the resurrection and so what a great day that is don't forget it's going to be Saturday night at 6 o'clock and then Sunday morning at 8.15 and 10.15 services so Pastor John's already said it I want you guys to say the last part he is risen 
And let's do it one more time. Shout it to the hilltops. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So I, I look forward to seeing all of you either Saturday night or Sunday as we continue to worship our risen Savior. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Father, thank you for changing our lives so dramatically. Father, I pray for each family that's represented here. Father, we thank you for your great love. Thank you for the life that you've given us. At times it's difficult, but Father, it is such an abundant life and eternal life in your Son. And for that, Father, we are so thankful. I pray that you'll give each person just a safe trip home now and bring us back this weekend as we continue to love you and serve you. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, have a great evening.